0: Danny, Danny, thank you so much for having me back and it's a joy to be back and I believe you put a spell, a good spell, uh, on the journey of Boyce Swallows Universe about two years ago and, um, I've never ever forgotten, uh, how kind and generous you were to have me on early on, um, when Trent Dalton and the world of, uh, literary fiction were were pretty strange to each other and, uh, Hello and thank you for listening to Words and Nerds, one of those special podcasts that invites authors to speak about their books, their craft, the social and political issues that influence their process and how literature can change the world. I'm Will Kostarkas, journalist, YA author and TBR conqueror, stepping in for regular host Danny V. My latest novel is Rebel Gods, the conclusion to the Monuments duology that takes everything we love about fantasy novels and lets them play out in contemporary Sydney. Today, I'll be chatting to educator and author Charlie Archbold. Charlie delighted Australian readers with her debut novel, Marley Boys, an enthralling exploration of masculinity and grief set in sunburnt rural Australia. It was a 2018 Children's Book Council of Australia Honour Book. Her second novel, Indigo Owl, transports us to the planet Gabray. A fast-paced dystopian adventure, Indigo Owl couldn't be further from Charlie Archbold's debut. In today's podcast, we discuss switching genres between books, crafting characters, and creating narratives that grip readers to the very last page. Welcome, Charlie.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome you back to the Words and Nerds podcast. And to begin, if you had a 20-second elevator ride to Pitch Indigo Owl, how would you describe it?
1: Um, After Earth was destroyed by climate change um, and overpopulation, private corporations were able to colonise new planets. And on one of those planets, the fertility of the citizens is really tightly controlled, but at what cost? And that's where we jump into the action.
0: Wonderful. And, you know, I have to say, I stepped into Indigo Owl not knowing what to expect. Well, actually, I went in expecting a book very much like your debut. <laughs> was it like for you to just sort of, was it purposeful to tw- switch up genres so drastically or was it something that just came from this idea spoke to you and you followed it?
1: I think it's the latter. I think it was the idea that kind of spoke to me and it also I think comes a bit from that sort of space as a fairly new writer. You never really know what your sort of journey will be and I think as a writer you you sort of have to explore what interests you at the time. Um, rather than perhaps maybe thinking, I don't know, maybe I should just be seen as writing contemporary realistic fiction. Mm -hmm. And it was just something that I really was interested in. I've always enjoyed reading and viewing um, science fiction, um, speculative fiction, those types of um, books. And um, it just felt like a natural space for me just to jump into. And I I really enjoyed it.
0: (laughs) The best dystopias reflect the realities of our world, heightened to the nth degree, and climate change and capitalism loom large over this book.
1: Why were
0: those things that you wanted to explore? What drew you to that?
1: Um, I think that, for me, that they are the contemporary issues that we face. And I think working as an educator, I think that they are issues that young people face and that we are got, that they are having to shoulder a lot of the burden around those things. So it seemed a sort of a natural um, way to explore those ideas, but in a fiction setting. And I think with dystopian fiction, there's that opportunity to look at um, loss of individualism, Um, government and tech control, survival and inequality, but in a setting that's removed from our contemporary world. So uh, that was a space where I felt um, comfortable writing and exploring those issues, really.
0: And thinking about sort of the idea Inception, was this something that just came to you as a whole or just, Was it an idea that slowly revealed itself to you over time?
1: I think it was definitely an idea that revealed itself over time. I was um, back in um, visiting the UK and um, I was at a museum and they had a population um, clock that was just counting up global population. And I was just standing looking at it and I thought, you know, this is just, you know, crazy how huge the world population is. And it was sort of came a little bit from that idea, like the drain on resources. And then I think you just travel with an idea and then you maybe take it to an extreme. And then, well, what would happen when everything was, um, when there was nothing left, what would happen? You know, humanity would then try and survive. And I don't think we'd be surviving in a nice way. I think private corporations and things would be leading the race because there's a lot less accountability Um, you know you just look at the sort of race for um, moon mining now and space tourism and things like that so that was just the sort of the premise that took it there but and then the ideas around that just sort of evolved over time yeah
0: And what is there for you in terms of your process between that initial spark of an idea and when you're ready to actually start putting pen to paper or fingers to keys? Do you have to? You think about your characters, or?
1: Yes, I think. For me, I think, so you'd have an idea like that, and it will just sort of sit there for a while. It could be like for quite a few years. I'm just starting writing something that's an idea that's sat around for quite a long time. And I think it's almost like a garden, you know, when the conditions are right, then it's then it's the right time for um, to, to write it. And it just sort of starts to flow. I think if you try and force it too soon, um, you don't get anywhere. And for me, then once I started, then it was easy, much easier to write the characters. So even though it's really different from Mali Boys in terms of setting and content, in terms of like the idea of um, first person and individual voice, that element, I think, was something I really enjoyed writing and feel comfortable doing. And so then I was able to, it, then it just sort of seemed to flow. Once I got those characters in my head, then it. I was able to construct it around them.
0: And I would love to know, I was riveted, you know, once I was introduced to Scarlet, Rumi and Dylan, I was riveted and I was, you know, as I'd read about one, I was always sort of itching to jump into the head of you know, <laughs> another one. And that's... It's yeah. a sign of characters that are really well drawn, and I loved stepping into their worlds in those alternating chapters. How was it that you made them feel unique?
1: Um, I think I, when I was um, young, I, I did a degree in drama, and I've always really loved plays and theatre. And I think when you watch plays and read plays, they because they have to, you know. There over such a short time, the characterization is really important. So I really think that I sometimes bring, I try, I don't try. I think I just really enjoy building characters that you could see on a stage, or that come to life quite quickly. So I definitely think um, that background in theatre and drama has influenced longer fiction writing. I've tried to write plays, but I just kind of can't get into them quite as well as the longer fiction. But I do think there's that sort of theatrical casting that is in the books, yeah, definitely. So I think maybe that might be why I really, um, what comes from, those, from the characters.
0: And I'd love to talk to you about the process of... A first draft. Are you somebody who (laughs) likes a first draft and feels good about it, or are you human and do you absolutely hate what you've written?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, at the time, I think it's fabulous, and then I read back, I go, "Oh my goodness, what was happening there?" And it never (laughs) connects with anything else. (laughs) So yeah, you're like, "Oh my god, it's a hot mess." So yeah, definitely, yeah. So it definitely is a bit like that. And you sort of feel that sense oh, I've done it. And then you look back and go, you've so not done it. (laughs) It's not all over again. Yeah. So it is hard, but you'd have to, but you almost have to pour it out, don't you? Otherwise you wouldn't have anything to regroup.
0: I was I was talking to a friend yesterday who wants to write her first book and yep. the advice I gave her was you need to give yourself permission to write absolute rubbish. Like yes. <laughs> absolute rubbish, but your hypercritical voice in your head is going to think that it's absolute rubbish. You need to yes. give yourself the freedom to do that. Yeah. the thing is though, when you've got something that you know you know came from the germ of a really, really good idea. And then you write it and you look at it and you're like, oh, this needs work. What do you do <laughs> first when you're sort of staring at a manuscript that you think needs reworking? What, where do you start?
1: Uh, look, I, you, so you, I, would re, I read it back through and I actually read it aloud as well because that helps too. And then, and then I think it, often it will be sort of things like the plot or things that don't connect. Yeah. So then it's kind of looking at it with a critical eye thinking, well, d- this doesn't make any sense or there's no point having this here because it's not followed through. You know, you've opened heads, you know, put someone on a road that doesn't go anywhere. So yeah. I think you kind of have to be, step back a bit from it. And then I think for me, there's a few people who I give it to, to have a read through. And um, then that's just sort of evolved over time. And those people are quite um, honest in their feedback. And I think that's really important that, you know, you can have people who can say to you, well, that doesn't make sense. I don't understand what happened there or, you know, what's this person doing? And that sort of feedback is vital, I think. Without it, it would be very hard to do it on your own. And I think sometimes people think of writing as such a sort of solo, solo, you know, pursuit. But it's really, there's a lot of collaboration and communication and sort of organic growth of a novel. And I think you have to let other people have a look at it. Well, I do, to let me know where to go next.
0: When you do know where to go next, how much... Does your novel change? Is it a sort of twenty percent rework? Is it a fifty percent rework? Or is it virtually indistinguishable from that first draft?
1: Um, I, I think quite I think quite a lot. I'd reckon almost like sort of, you know, fifty to seventy percent change sometimes. Yeah. The, the characters stay the characters usually stay quite secure. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, but maybe the balance of the novel, you know, you might have a really strong beginning and then, as my friend always says, the soggy middle yeah. <laughs> and good ending. <laughs> um, and so I think that though, and then once you have to change the soggy middle, you know, that's a, that's a lot of work. So mm-hmm. I think it's getting the balance, you know, and the ebb and flow of a, of a novel – is actually quite time consuming and that's quite hard. Yeah, that's where the sort of hard work, you know, sort of kicks in a lot.
0: And I love hearing that the characters sort of stay solid for you. There's nothing worse than sort of having a <laughs> deadline and being like, oh, I don't actually understand one of my characters, which is <laughs> something, something that I encountered um, with. One of my books called the Sidekicks, and it was an yeah. absolute nightmare. You know, with an editor saying, "You have two more weeks before this goes to print. Um, <laughs> to do what you can," and me deciding to rewrite twenty thousand words. <laughs> it turned out okay. You can
1: do it. But you did it. I did it,
0: but my god, um, it, was, it was so stressful. But
1: yeah. then once I
0: once I knew that character, I was like, "Wow, I really wish I did that work." A year ago.
1: (laughs) I know that's what I think. I think I could have saved myself so much time if I'd thought about that before.
0: (laughs) I guess the thing is, as you're writing, you're doing that unconscious thinking and you're you're creating the character in that situation. It's not until you write something that is inauthentic that you realise, oh, wait, I know what this character has to do and you sometimes have to go through that process, I guess. That's what I tell myself anyway, to justify all the wasted time. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> i know that's what i do too and you kind of think i'm being true to you i'm actually going to go back all the way through and make sure that you've been authentic in what you've done and how you're speaking and all those little things that 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 you know yourself but then if they if you don't look at it or uh, and address them then they can be really jarring for the reader like i i had like some a phrase that the all like all three of the characters were using mm-hmm. at one point. Then I was thinking, No, I've really got to go back and pull this all apart and then go back through the whole thing and check who was saying it and who wasn't saying it. So there is that, those, those sorts of little things um, are, are hard, but I think they're really important to so that your characters stay firm.
0: Yeah. And Now that we're sort of talking about characters, I want to pause and sort of talk about how you, you know, came up with Scarlet, uh, Dylan and Rumi, because as a fan of Marley boys, I fell in love with Sandy and Red, and I could have followed them to the ends of the earth. And I want to know, you create some really fascinating characters and they work really, really well together. How did you come up with this trio? And, yeah, especially when we're dealing with such a foreign world, how did you make them feel so, you know, I want to say human? And, you know, even though there was so much going on that we sort of had to suspend disbelief when reading it, it still felt like that human core was still there in the same way that it was there in Marley Boys.
1: Oh, thank you. Um, Yeah, it was... I think that you, you, probably for you as well, you do get quite attached to your characters mm-hmm. and it's like you do almost hear them and I think when you have multiple characters, sometimes you you, you write a lot of that one character and mm-hmm. then another time I get back into another one again, which then I think that comes back then to that balancing out the book like in later drafts, I think if you're working with multiple characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you draw on your own experiences. I think you look around you at the world and you try and construct a character. Actually, you don't even try to. I think they just pop up, probably like you. You know, that sounds like you're contriving them, but you're not. They just sort of pop up and come to life. Mm. And then you kind of delve a bit more into their backstory and why they are the way they are. And I think what their own, I th- um, maybe with characters in, in YA, particularly, I, I think that their own, what's driving them, needs to come across for the reader. Yeah. Whatever that need or want or search, it has to be. It, that has to be quite embedded in them mm-hmm. for them to come to life.
0: Yeah. And. Could you introduce them to us? Like, I would love to hear more about, you know, who Scarlett is, uh, who Rumi is and who Dylan is. Could you just take a moment just to sort of... Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so, so,
1: <laughs> so Scarlett Scarlet is almost the, the driving force of the action and mm-hmm. um, she has... Um, her mother disappeared when um, she was 10. So she's been left... Um, with this legacy of why did my mother disappear? What's happened to her? And she's quite an introspective um, person um, and strong at her core. So she spends quite a lot of the book exploring that within herself, but then also wrestling with the fact that her mother left her. And she shares that a little bit. So she and then Dylan... Dylan grew up as a sort of a child of privilege,
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: so he's facing a couple of challenges in that he is questioning that privilege, and he also is struggling with a relationship with his father, who's very disengaged from him. So the two of them share that um, search for identity and answers to, um, and the relationship with their parents. And then Rumi is, um, she is strong, tenacious, um, brave, and she really drives the, um, drives the story in the sense that she challenges Dylan and um, Scarlet. And she has her own quest for um, justice that she feels has been done against her. And I think that, so the three of them together um, balance one another through their personal backstory and um, and challenging the world, the, dystopi- the very dystopian world in which they live.
0: I love that. And it really was wonderful getting to know them and sort of seeing them reveal different aspects of their character as the story progressed and, you know... You mentioned that in the drafting, there was a soggy middle. Well, yeah. reading the finished product, there was no soggy middle. So whatever <laughs> you did to get rid of it, <laughs> you did quite a good job. And you mentioned that Scarlett is the driving force of the narrative. And, you know, I completely agree. In the first chapter, we learned that her mother had enemies. You know, there's just that moment where it's whispered in her ear and she's released. <laughs> and, you know, that's I'm sitting there going... Charlie, I know exactly what you're doing and you have got me hooked on Tinker. And from that moment, the pace Yeah. The pace rarely relents. How is it that you craft a story that is so gripping? And it's obviously purposeful because you mentioned there was a soggy middle. Like what did you do to make sure that it captured the reader?
1: Maybe again, it was, I kind of really liked to write in scenes, um, even with Mali boys, um, you know, I think I was just sort of, you know, really developing my sort of um, skills in that space. So I really like to write in scenes. So when even with, so with this one, I, I saw it quite scenically. Mm -hmm. rather than um, you know big uh, wads of sort of description so I think that that gives I think that adds pace to narratives yeah and so I think if you're aiming for like a kind of I suppose this is very much a sort of plot driven narrative if Mm -hmm. that's if you're aiming for that then I you kind of want to keep it um, the momentum going so then I would look so then when I'd look at the drafts and think look it just got a bit flat there what's something I could do to change it up and that could be even something as simple as shorter chapters Mm -hmm. or longer chapters you know those things to give it pace or maybe you want to pull it back a bit so you may do a bit of a back um a um a recount scene for a character rather than it being in the present tense Mm -hmm. those things can help balance it out a little bit and and keep it moving as well
0: yeah Wonderful. And look, all that work paid off. You released Indigo Owl earlier this year. Judging by the people I've spoken to who've read it, it's been very well received. And the schools that I've visited in Term 4, it has been one of those books that pops up when teenagers talk about what they're reading, what they're excited about.
1: that's good. That's great, yeah.
0: How do you feel about a book after it's out in the world what's what's your relationship with this book now that it's sort of done basically
1: (laughs) yeah I know it's a funny you probably know have your own feelings about this it's a funny sort of feeling because you've been so invested in it and so involved in it particularly like in the writing and when you get to that 80 percent part of it that it's almost done Mm -hmm. you know you're so invested in it and then it's almost like a, a big party and it's sort of over. <laughs> yeah. And so now, just in a you know, couple of months after it came out, now I can go back and really look through it and enjoy it. And of course, like all writers think, oh, I should have changed that or this or yeah. Yeah. <laughs> those things. But, um, but you can sort of have a bit of distance from it. Yeah. And I think the other thing as well is funny is that you write a book and it's such an immersive process And then there's that sort of strange time between when you finished it and then when it comes out. Mm -hmm. And, and so then when you're retalking about it, you really have to go back and think, now what was I thinking at this time and what was motivating? Because to the reader, of course, it's all new. So it is uh, interesting. So I've, I've I've really enjoyed writing something different and I'm, I'm glad I did.
0: (laughs) Was it, Nerve-wracking, releasing something that was so different to your debut?
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone's gone, oh, what would you do that for? I was going, oh, I don't know, it's too late now. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah, it was. And yeah, it was very, it was nerve-wracking. But then I suppose it just comes back to that simple space, you know, writers, you know, we we need to write and the joy of it is writing what you want to write at the time.
0: Exactly, and it's and that's that's what I tell myself until I realise. <laughs> oh wait, what are the books that I like? <laughs> it's, it's the books by those authors where you know exactly what to expect from them. <laughs>
1: and, I'm not that. I'd be like a publisher's nightmare. I'd be going, oh my god, what's this? One? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But-
0: At the same time, while it's not what I expected and when I was in the thick of it, I was like, I cannot draw any parallels between this and the debut. Once I emerged from it, I was like, oh, no, that felt like whatever a Charlie Archbold book is and I started to sort of see, you know, even before you mentioned it, I saw your book, you know, And your your history with drama makes sense to me now because I do see it as sort of these collection of scenes and I've started to notice these sort of stylistic things that you do. So the books, while being completely disparate things, I can see the connective tissue between them. I know now that you have two books under your belt, three if we count your text prize shortlisted middle grade manuscript Red Bottomed Boat, what do you think it is that makes a Charlie Archbold book?
1: Uh, oh that's a very good question. That's a reflective one, isn't it? Um let me think. Maybe maybe characters, dialogue and an immediacy hmm. of the book. I don't yeah, maybe I don't know. Yeah, that's hard. Yeah. Um yeah, I think maybe those things, I, I, yeah, to connecting with, um, trying to connect with readers, um, even if, if the settings and the worlds may be different, trying to connect with readers in an authentic way, probably through dialogue, I'd say.
0: Yeah, I would 100% agree. I would say that you're underselling yourself a little bit there. I would also... Possibly <laughs> mention the strong sense of place, which was... That's what oh, M- thank you, yes. ...to Mali boys, and now you've got this completely fictional setting. It's literally another world. I know. How did you come to create Brave? Was that something that was just, oh, the plot has dictated the landscape be like this, and that's sort of where you ran with? How did you create this world?
1: That's, yeah, that's interesting because initially I had it on Earth. I said it on Earth, like in a sort of speculative future. But then one of the early readers said, this is way too complicated to have this plot on Earth because it couldn't happen. And so then they suggested, well, why don't you take it off world, just as a random off-the-cuff comment. And I thought, oh, of course, that's going to solve so many of, of the issues. So then, so then that was like, then that became... Really, the second draft that construction of the world. And once I got into the world, I really loved it. It was really fun to do that kind of um, world building. Um, uh, Like uh, my brother said, (laughs) you can BYO your own flora and fauna. You know, there's all those sorts of things you can do. And yeah, so I think once I started with that, it just sort of came to life really easily. And it was actually really fun creatively to do something like that yeah and then, yeah it was good
0: wonderful and yeah. to finish up you know we always love to ask you know our guests what's next and <laughs> as somebody who has enjoyed both of your books i am itching to know will it be that middle grade book uh that was text prize shortlisted or will there be something else
1: Oh, look, no, so definitely the middle grade book. Um, yeah, so um, we're sort of starting on the drafts, uh, you know, the uh, next parts of that. So that should, hopefully that will be out um, next year or maybe early 22. And that's another one that's um, set up in uh, Far North Queensland. So with Crocodiles and Adventure. So I'm looking forward to that. And then I'm writing. I'm kind of, the thing about fantasy and spec fiction is, you, you know, you put a lot of, effort and fun into building that world so Mm. I'm kind of sort of staying in this and I'm just sort of playing in that space of writing something that's in um not Galbraith but in the same sort of solar system
0: (laughs) wonderful that's a really good tease. so are you thinking of a sort of expanded universe style thing where there are hints or is it will we be revisiting these same characters in some way
1: Revisiting revisiting Rumi and some of them and um, come, c- coming together in a different sorts of place. And I've just started writing some other characters who are in, in this sort of alternate sort of, u- not alternate, in the same um, universe. So yeah, I, I'm quite enjoying that. I suppose it's that part of writing, that's the playing part. You know, just the sort of sketching and um, being in that different place. So I'm starting to really feel and get a few more characters who live on a very small planet nearby.
0: (laughs) Wonderful. Well, Charlie, I want to say on behalf of Danny and our listeners, thank you so much for joining us again for Words and Nerds. It's always an absolute pleasure to speak to you about your wonderful books and your process. And for those who are listening... Uh, Charlie Archbold's novels, Marley Boys and Indigo Owl, are available now from all good bookstores and you will not regret picking one of these up and devoting some time to them. Thank you again, Charlie.
1: Thank you so much, Will. Thank you very, very much for having me today. Always a pleasure.